always have to hang on to what your goals are and as well as what your values are. Who are you trying to help? Who really is going to be most in need in a situation? Uh, or, well, who can't you convince? I guess you can also get in the way there, but or who can you walk away from and you don't need at that moment? But it, it was very rare for me as an elected official. Sometimes you couldn't get something done, but once you got into that level of discussion, it seemed to me there was a way to bring people along. And now, from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winotto. I'm so excited to introduce our guest today, Congresswoman Allison Swartz. She represented Pennsylvania in the United States House of Representatives from 2005 to 2015 and was also the founding president and CEO of the Better Medicare Alliance. Congresswoman Swartz is a huge advocate for accessible healthcare. She's remained committed to healthcare reform from her days in government to her current position as a senior advisor at FTI Consulting. She is an incredible advocate who has had to overcome a lot and came out the other side with a lot of stories and lessons to share. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you for joining me today, Congresswoman Allison Swartz. Good to be with you. I'm delighted. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on our podcast today. Um, it's really interesting what your journey is uh, from being in the politics to where you are now working with a lot of the healthcare companies. And I thought it would be interesting for all our listeners to hear about your journey. Why do you decide to go to politics and then take you where you are today? Well, I'll just start by saying really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you. And I think uh, as you talked about just previously about the work you've been doing, uh, bringing so many different kinds of people who are uh, different professions in the healthcare field is really kind of a uh, really important thing to do. It certainly are many stakeholders for sure. Uh, I did not ever, um, I was always interested in healthcare, uh, even sort of in, the, in some of the work I did in, in college and graduate school. I do have a master's in social work. And my interest when I was leaving doing social work was to do community organizing or to run an organization that had an impact on communities and people's lives and well make the world a better place so um i guess in some of that i should just say from my family background uh one of four children my parents uh, my mother was an immigrant to this country she was a refugee um came from austria during the holocaust and that certainly informed my understanding and interest in in government and who looks out for people and who doesn't and um, and how important that is in the lives of, of, of everyone, certainly personally. And so my, my parents were not political, although they always voted. Um, and then my father actually left uh, to serve in the Korean War when I was a child. And so the understanding of his service and the demands on the family uh, that that put on. My mother had three little ones to look at uh, after under under four and a half. <laughs> and my father went off for over two years. That was kind of a challenge. So I certainly understood that the world was more than just about me. It was about others. And that certainly is where I started. So um, 
so I went to social work school and uh, went to work for a fledgling HMO in the in the early 70s and 70s. And then a, a group of us decided we would start a women's health center in Philadelphia, which was, I had done some work for a few years on how do you develop health systems? How do you develop health programs? And it was pretty daring of us. It was right after the Supreme Court decision. I guess we shouldn't go into that, down that road, but certainly recent recent current events is certainly very reminiscent of the work I did 50 years ago. Uh, and I was very cutting edge again, and obviously it has to be all done all over again to some extent. But it was really um, a very exciting time. You know, we really felt like we could and should really move healthcare to be more responsive to women. Uh, and, uh, and we did a variety of women's health services. And uh, it also was very political in a way. You know, the work we were doing was political in the small p of just how do you influence healthcare to treat women differently, to be more respectful, to have them feel more in control of their lives. Um, And that really was not like pregnancy issues, but routine GYN. We even started an out-of-hospital birth center. Um, We did a whole variety of other kinds of services. And, you know, we wanted to affect the healthcare system to uh, to improve. And I think we did have an impact in Philadelphia. It was a, it still is a somewhat traditional healthcare system, very different than California where you are. And uh, it also got me into the arena of how do you speak in public? How do you talk about difficult issues uh, to the press, to, to others? And, um, you know, that was an important part of my experience in terms of what I thought I could do. And then as you did that, I started to think, as many of us did, we need different people in elected office who can have take this kind of life experience and view. And Pennsylvania is still way behind in terms of the number of women in our state um, general assembly, although it's much better than it was when I was <laughs> the third woman elected to the state senate uh, in 1990. But um, uh, it's it, I ran for office. It was a tough election, galvanized a lot of different kinds of people coming together in the state Senate. And my reasons for running were very much to impact a healthcare system for women and children. I had actually spent two years in city government working on child welfare and juvenile delinquency, felt strongly too about uh, women and families who were really in very tough and difficult circumstances, quite dysfunctional in many cases. And um, so I was elected to the state Senate, served for uh, 14 years. Uh, and during that time, I did find myself coming back all the time to women's health care, you know, and children. I was did a lot of work on insurance mandates to cover women's health needs, the children's health insurance program, which we all know of as a chip. Um, we started one in Pennsylvania. I had the role of getting that through the Senate and working on developing that five years before it happened on the federal level. So we really felt we were on the cutting edge. We were making a difference. And now millions of children in Pennsylvania and tens of millions of children across the country have actually gotten health care because of that. And when I had the opportunity to run for Congress, I did. Uh, and uh, it was an open seat, but really um, half Republican, half Democratic. So it was a swing district. It was a, it was a big race. Um, but I got to serve in Congress for a decade, which was fantastic and really gave me the opportunity to not only work on health care, which I did a good bit. I was there for the Affordable Care Act under President Obama. That was great. I uh, was able to do some work on, on promoting health technology and promoting uh, primary care, which I felt strongly about, and actually trying to not only improve access to care, but also improve the quality of care and to make sure that we were getting value for our dollars. 
uh, that we could be doing more preventative care. We could be doing more primary care. Uh, we needed to be in underserved communities. And how could we do all of that? So um, I served in Congress for uh, that 10 years. And then I ran for governor of Pennsylvania um, and didn't win. <laughs> so <laughs> I had not decided not to run for both seats at the same time. So I had to, again, reinvent myself. And I went, uh, was hired to create an organization that would advocate for managed care in Medicare. Um, it's called Medicare Advantage. It's quite a bit of it in California. There's actually quite a bit of it in Pennsylvania and across the country. And there I really had more experience what brought experience of bringing the variety of stakeholders together, build a coalition that would advocate for a policy and not just a particular interest group. And that was a very interesting thing to do. Uh, when I left just a year ago, full-time work there, um, we had almost 200 national or regional organizations. We had an influence on some of the policy on the Hill and in regulation and have seen managed care grow in quality and grow in access. And um, I think, I believe, done well, it's really making a difference in people's lives. So that's a, maybe a long story of my journey, but I'm old. So that's great. It's interesting because you, you definitely... Uh, focus a lot in healthcare and healthcare when, you, when you're in a Congress, you're in a committee. It must be really exciting to be part of passing the Healthcare Affordable Care Act, which is takes forever and finally get things done. <laughs> it does take, it takes, first of all, um, a real understanding of where you want to go and then figuring out how much you can, how, what you can, how far you can go. And then to break, have be the right moment, and then to have a lot of very determined people to get it done. I think Nancy Pelosi deserves a lot of credit, and of course, does you know President Obama and his team. Uh, but really, uh, we went uh, because I was on Ways and Means, and I was really just in my second term. I got on Ways and Means. I really had the opportunity to sit in those rooms. Uh, hundreds of hours we spent uh, debating how you turn ideas into actual policy, how do you make it, how would it work, what's practical, what's not, um, what do we think we can get done, what don't we, uh, and how do we make sure that it is doing what we want, which was uh, to make sure there was greater access to health coverage, more affordable access, mm -hmm. that coverage, possibly more seamless coverage. We still have ways to go on that. Um, and, you know, how we could expand Medicaid as, as well, which, of course, got interrupted a bit with the Supreme Court decision at the time. Um, and how we could help employers, well, help, but require employers to, um, to get coverage. What was the responsibility of individuals to get coverage and how we could make that work? It really was complicated and exciting and interesting. And it was really a, an extraordinary moment when it actually happened. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Yeah, the pre you know the death of, of Senator Kennedy at the very end there that, that gave that's a whole new wrinkle. Yeah, but there are lots of stories to tell about some of the intricacies of what it took to do that. But as I will say, in mem members of Congress, even like many of us, we think we know about healthcare because of our own experience. But it's a complicated uh, payment system. It's you know has a lot of different players, as you've mentioned, and bringing them all together to accept what we wanted to do and to make compromise mm -hmm. to get there. Uh, and then I think to really have had an extraordinary impact on the number of people who actually now have right. health coverage they never did uh, and can move from job to job, you know, and uh, when young people can be on their parents' plans, that no pre-existing condition exclusions. I mean, some of those things are just quite 
um, quite quite hard to get done, but we did. Yeah, I, I was mentioning to a few friends who who can be very sometimes be negative about the whole Affordable Care Act, and I kind of remind them sometimes you don't see on the headline news anymore that somebody went bankrupt because of the healthcare. And I remember seeing that more before than now, at least. You know, there are still issues, but, you know, just like Medicare, which I didn't work on for the last, you know, seven years, so intimately, you know, that's changed over time too. You don't get it 100% right in the beginning. You know, Medicare didn't cover physician services. You know, it still doesn't cover enough of physician services if you, unless you get Medicare Advantage or a Medicare policy. Still co-pays are expensive. We, they added prescription drug coverage a number of years ago. Uh, and that too is still expensive for, for people. There's work that's been done since then to make some modifications. So um, everything needs tweaking along the way, but we sure made a giant step forward, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's also the fact that it's you know, you need a lot of the tweaking. It just make everything look so even messier too. Because I think when you get it all right in the first time, but then at the same time, because of the compromise that you have to make, you cannot make it right the very first time, perfect the first time. I think that's I think it's true. Um, every once in a while, you can do something really well the first time, maybe something simpler <laughs> the first time. But even then, uh, we we sometimes sun you know sunset bills in law, you know, because. It should be revisited. You know, you do need to sometimes make um, some changes. And, you know, sometimes it works so successfully, you didn't need that program anymore, or it didn't do what you thought it did. You know, it's it's not easy to get rid of a program once you have it, actually, but it is uh, it is something to learn. Mm-hmm. It's good to learn from not just the mistakes, but what, what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a smart thing to do. Uh, so... Sometimes the changes are not because something was wrong, but because we could even do better. And sometimes things change too, with times, with different situations. This podcast is sponsored by Brown Rudnick's Global Life Sciences Group, a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group, Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com. I'm just curious, you know, where where you are in the ways and means is you mentioned like you're in that room, you have to understand so many different stakeholders. I mean, how do you decide what compromise that made it and what compromise did not make it? Well, I think you always have to hang on to what your goals are and as well as what your values are. Who are you trying to help? Who are you, you know, who who really is going to be most in need in a situation? Uh, well, who can't you convince? I guess you can also get in the way there, but or who can you walk away from and you don't need at that moment? But it, it was very rare for me as an elected official. Sometimes you couldn't get something done, but once you got into that level of discussion, it seemed to me there was a way to bring people along. And sometimes, I mean, I I won't get into the detail of this, but there were just days before we passed the the bill in the House, uh, there was a controversy over how we pay hospitals and the the variation in cost of reimbursement because they're based cost on region and cost of living in that region and that sort of thing. And there were definitely members who said, my 
my district, my state doesn't get what it's supposed to. Um, we've been tweaking that for many years in Medicare, actually, to to make sure that rural hospitals and critical care hospitals and you know all get what they need. But they weren't satisfied. They wanted to put something into the bill that would add even more dollars. Um, and we were. It was midnight. Just. You know, a night before we bought past the bill, two days before we've been arguing, we had argued this from weeks and weeks and weeks. And, um, you know, there were like 12 people said, I'm not voting for it unless you fix this. So we, you know, put our heads together and said, all right, how about if we went by this formula and which, which hospitals would get it based on that formula? Would that be satisfactory? And they finally agreed to it and, um, they voted for it. So, that wasn't the only one. You know, there were issues about reproductive rights and whether you're going to cover contraception or not. Um, that had to get tweaked at the last minute as well um, in, a, in a kind of a creative way. And so you try and work it out, you know. Uh, and again, sometimes you think that you, I think there's still issues with drug pricing, for example, and that kind of thing. You know, I think they're, um, but the Senate's debating that as we speak. You know, can they do more about drug prices? So we knew we didn't get enough in some areas. Uh, and and yet, you know, the people who said we didn't do enough about bringing down the cost of care, not for the government, you know, um, for people we helped that, that a lot in terms of the subsidies. But again, that's up for a vote potentially in the Senate. How do you renew those subsidies? And because they were improved in the last couple of years. Uh, and can you keep up that better help. Um, and that's still being debated today. I think it will get done. I hope so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that will get done. But so there, uh, so you come back to say, what else could we do in, in that area? We have, if we couldn't get it done at that time, I think there's only one big bill in my least recollection. I was in the state Senate where we were negotiating and negotiating. And I, I ended up in my side, ended up walking away from the table, so to speak, because I said, you know, there's just not enough left here. We have to give all that up. It's not meaningful enough to have said we've passed something. It's having to do with uh, tobacco and tobacco use. Uh, and said, you know, it's just not doing enough. Other times you say, I'm going to take that piece and I'm going to come back and um, and do more on it. And um, I, you know, I did that many times as well. So you have to make a judgment call as mm-hmm. to whether you think it's still, you can stand up and say, I'm proud of this piece of legislation, I believe it got us further along on the path to the goal that we've set. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, the other thing that I also realized that there's like a whole, a lot of bundling and sometimes like, why is that put together? Well, that's easier. That's, that's harder and easier to explain. So some of that is just, uh, you know, something you kind of, somebody like I, the chip program, I remember when we did that, I'll tell you a good story about it, bundling like that. There was a Republican, he was like head of the committee, deceased now, I'll talk about it. But anyway, um, and he wanted dental um, mobile units. They came from a rural area. And I'm like, well, that's not really what we're talking about here, but if, if who, I'm okay with that. <laughs> no, I mean, that wasn't a hard one to agree to, you know? Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's like, fine, it's something that someone really wanted for a long time. They want to, squeeze it into a piece of legislation. Because as you can see today, you can move some small bills, but get you do, and I did tag um, issues I cared about onto other um, other bills. The very first bill I got done was offering tax credits to companies to hire returning veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm. 
And I used a, a small business bill was being done in ways and means. And I put that into the small ways, the small business uh, plan, even though it affected bigger businesses as well. So it, it was it was just a packaging of, of a number of uh, provisions. And I was able to get that one in. And that was the first bill I passed. And I was like, pretty proud of that. And President Obama, that was under Bush, George Bush president. And I don't, you know, um, so you do that quite a bit because mm-hmm. not everyone can get their bills seen and heard as a single vote. Yeah. But you can put into a relevant, um, still has to be somewhat relevant <laughs> to the bill <laughs> in some yeah. way uh, to make that work. And so, and some really important things come out of that. Yeah, and no, I think it's. I think sometimes nowadays, at least, I feel there's so much media out there uh, showcasing a lot of the differences, mm-hmm. and somehow, as a citizen, we I felt like, oh my god, we're just going backwards, and I'm wanting to believe it. I hope there's something that we're going forward. Maybe you can give me a some positive. Uh, I'll say two quick things about that is, is one, um, I do think it's tougher right now. I do think it's, it's tough a lot. You know, I mean, it was in the state Senate. I know it's one of very few women. They weren't sure what to make of me. You know, I came with a um, pretty progressive background and, and yet I was, anyway, I had some moderate views too, you know, but it's, um, it's hard to get things done. It is. And so much it should be because a lot of people introduce legislation that shouldn't go anywhere, <laughs> you know, or something, but um, it has to be taken seriously and the ramifications and consequences of those laws should be, um, should we do, we're using taxpayer dollars. We should be sure we're doing that in a wise way. And how we find the money is important too, you know, so that those are not easy discussions to have, you know, and so I think sometimes the press focuses on all the disagreements rather than what's agreed to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but it's, uh, the other thing I would say is it is it is tough. I don't want to sound too Pollyannish about this. This is not easy. There are times when you really have to push hard to get something heard. You sometimes have to. Um, I would tack on women's health care issues on, onto bills, you know. And I remember finally somebody saying to me, "It was about a bill of rights for women's health services or something." And he said, "Okay, okay, Alice. I know you're going to get this done anyway. I'll say yes now." Well, that's a wonderful thing for someone to say to you to happen. But other times you have to push hard and uh, and you have to, it does help to galvanize voices outside of the legislature. Mm-hmm. And you do have to bring along some of your colleagues. It's, you know, unless you're enormously powerful, it's rare for you to do something all by yourself. So you do have to find some consensus somewhere. Mm-hmm. And right now it's really hard. There are really ideological differences that are really hard to align. And so, but they get things done, and I know this is going to happen, but if they get this done to at least do something, particularly about drug pricing and about these subsidies in the next few weeks, I know there will be a lot of people complaining about what didn't happen and didn't get done. And they'll be right. They'll be disappointed. They'll be, you know, they'll have to fight again, you know, to do it. But in fact, just those two things will affect millions and millions of people's lives and make a difference. And um, I hope that I'm a good Democrat, the Democrats take credit for that. And if you Republicans come along, all the better. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you this question that I don't know, you know, with the midterm election coming up, with the economies going in a very not so 
great place right now, but although the gas price is coming down and somehow people uh, don't give credit as much uh, to the work, um, what do you think, say, if the Republicans win the Congress, how is it going to change to our healthcare law that we already put in place? Yeah, I think this is... um... Well, it's a challenging answer. Well, I'll answer it this way. First of all, I do think that the Democrats could still hold on to, <laughs> you know, the House, you know, the Senate maybe. Um, and But I certainly think they have to understand right now that although we have a Democratic majority in the House and the Senate, those are very narrow majorities. And in the Senate, we don't have the 60 votes, right, to, um, to always move legislation. And sometimes we don't have the 50 votes to move legislation. So um, it's not like the president has which we he doesn't have right. superpowers, you know, he has certain powers and he is um, taking, first of all, some very extensive legislation has passed in just a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think we'll see some more. And there are some tough moments right now, um, but this, the, you know, whether they can get everything done that we'd like to, probably not. There are concerns about inflation as well. There should be. I mean, I go, fill up my tank with gasoline and only well, we one electric car, but the other one I have to go to the gas station. And it's it's one of the few commodities that ev- all of us know. And we see it every time we go to the pump, you know, and it's numbers are staggering. Uh, and people don't always have 30, 40, $50 sometimes to fill up a tank. It's pretty rough. Uh, so I do think, but it also isn't totally in the control of the president of the United States. This it just isn't. Some of it has to do with you know this old supply and demand, and so we as consumers have something to say about that. We've been um, buying a lot of things, and <laughs> <laughs> a lot of demands on a very difficult supply chain, and of course the world situations are not easy either. So I'm not saying don't give. I like it. Don't give politicians a pass, but recognize who's there for you and who's not. You know, and who comes home and says. Oh, I'm all for that. And then goes back and doesn't do it, you know, and also understand that, you know, we're living under a Supreme Court that is extremely, extremely conservative and has already made it very clear that they're willing to overturn even very standing law that we've lived with for a long time. And certainly for women, if you want to ask what's going to change in healthcare, even if Democrats win, but if they get a few more seats, that could help pass legislation that would protect women's rights mm-hmm. to health care. Um, but if not, that will be m- many years before we actually see a re- restoration of women's rights to health care uh, and respect, I think, <laughs> you know, um, and from the courts for, for a very long time. We have to start again to fight on those things. But I but I do think that Democrats look out for health care and we got the ACA done. I would have preferred it. All of us would have liked some Republicans to join us. That wasn't going to happen. And, you know, so it had to get done pretty much by ourselves. Uh, and it's, I'm still proud of it. I think it's going to, you know, it was working. And I'm not even sure that the Republicans want to undo it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it'll... But it'll be rough, it'll be rough, you know. Yeah, that's for sure. Now I'm just trying to remember the prior administration for a while. Well, until the end, I think keep talking about repealing the Affordable Care Act, yeah. and I'm, so times are going right, <laughs> right. And so is you know, hopefully with 
the Joe Biden's in the president Joe Biden's in the office, even if the Congress is on the other side. I, I don't. Do you think that will be having that impact? Because I think it went to the court, and then you know the court being the conservative. Like, what is that? But you know, again, not being able to expand Medicaid, you know, to states because the Republican governors or general assemblies don't want to. Um, that's, I mean, that's a lot of Americans who could have access to healthcare that don't can't afford it now, mm-hmm. and so that's a that's a huge issue I'd love to see changed, you know, to be able to fix that. I know the Biden administration has a, you know, a way to do that, but you need legislation to do it. I don't know if that will happen in this package or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I think it's, I, I will say this one thing that sounds funny. I think there is some interest in in the whole managed care piece that comes from Republicans and Democrats of moving away from a very fragmented complicated and expensive system of fee-for-service. Now in California, so many of you are in an HMO or Kaiser or one of the others, uh, and so many are on Medicare Advantage that they already know that system. But I do think there are ways for us forward to uh, continue to encourage a healthcare system that not only is affordable and accessible, but provides the kind of value and quality that we, we have a right to expect and should expect. Uh, and to be able to move some of that, continue to move that momentum forward uh, would really be very important, I think, to, for us to do that. You mentioned talking to entrepreneurs. There's such exciting work being done in remote monitoring. You know, you, I was introduced to you through John Loom, who said Podometrics. I mean, meeting people where they are, care in the home, being able to do remote monitoring, being able to do more prevention and, uh, and chronic disease management which is really where so much of the cost is now, particularly with an aging population, is something I've worked on for the last eight, seven years, something I worked on a bit in Congress beforehand, and I'm now trying to work on as I can, you know, through a variety of consulting and, and boards uh, because to move that forward. Because we can we can, we can can do better uh, and get better value for our dollars, and we should. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, thinking about, like, the policy, sometimes in a healthcare, understanding the policy, what's put in place, what the impact is, then it also helped you come up with the innovation that perfectly fit with the policy. And okay. is there something that's going on there, the policy that a lot of innovators need to know in the healthcare space? Well, I think, I'm just mentioning, I think there are some real opportunities now, um, particularly since you can work either directly through the government or now through private insurers or or. Uh, providers who've taken full risk uh, to be able to test out some of these new innovations. Uh, again, Podometrics, which I've got on their board, it's exciting that the VA, the Veterans Administration, in some regions is working with this um, device that is really easy to use and potentially saving people from having amputations. amputations that's fantastic. Um, so it's a chance to test these things out and then decide whether it's actually uh, could work on a scale it up more universally, but care in the home, telehealth, virtual visits, what really works, what doesn't. Um, and really, I think it's about tackling how to help people live healthier lives and to manage chronic conditions uh, to improve healthcare of Americans. And we, some of it will be done by some smart entrepreneurs, some will be done in the nonprofit sector that also are smart and innovative and have some tools now to, uh, uh, to do that, which is um, exciting. And it's happening around the country. So 
hopefully we'll continue to provide the kind of quality care that we expect, but also do it in a way that has more accessible to more people and more attentive, of course, to the social determinants of health and to um, the health inequity. Uh, and not saying that's not doable, but to say, in fact, it's doable and we're going to tackle it. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Congresswoman. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.